G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk about life, and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Murch, and let's dive straight in. Taylor Carroll comes out of Victoria, Australia, has observational wit and been mentored by no less than Olympia. First single, Vermont, looks at how the baggage of the past guides the present and future. This has been followed up by Sometimes Good People Do Bad Things, a second serving that goes deeper into forgiveness. Carol joins us now to uncover more layers to themselves and the music they're making. Taylor, thanks very much for joining Radio Notes. Thanks for having me. The latest single is Sometimes Good People Do Bad Things. Let's have a look where that song title may have actually come from in the first place. Uh, psychology at University of BA. Is there some links to your university days within this song? Perhaps on like a more of an inadvertent level. The song mainly is about earlier than that. I think it's about getting older and looking back at some of the things that happened earlier on in my childhood and having a more nuanced approach to judging people's actions. And, yeah, I think it came more from, like, being introspective. It probably is more to do with getting older than it is university as such. Let's talk about forgiveness. When did you Mm. first realise that forgiveness could be a positive? I think with my parents, learning to forgive my parents for some things and realising that it's liberating. It's a lot to carry if you hold on to things. I think a large part of forgiveness is empathy. I think when you empathise with someone, it makes it easier to forgive them, which, again, kind of keys into that theme of having that nuanced approach to relating to people and judging people that may have hurt you and so on. And I think, like, empathy informs that process and then you can forgive and feel free. There's also a sense of knowledge base as well to get that empathy, to actually put yourself in that position. How much does education Mm. play a part in forgiveness? Yeah, probably. I've never thought that. That's an interesting question. Yeah, probably a lot. And I think also like informal education as well, just even I think like appreciating art and like reading lots. I think those are all exercises that require empathy. like to note that you've actually been mentored by the wonderful Olympia. Yeah, she's incredible. Liv is the best. The relationship started because I was in an amazing program by Music Victoria called The Push and she was assigned to me as my mentor. At the time that I first started having that relationship with Liv, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't released a song. I was only just starting to perform around Melbourne more. So she was really instrumental firstly in giving me confidence, but also she's very driven. She's very direct. And so her advice was always very helpful and you always felt like it just kind of like was straight down the line. What's your favourite coffee? Ooh, I normally have, I drink mostly long blacks. If I'm going to treat myself, I'll have like an almond latte. Dare we ask how many coffees a day? Probably depends on the day and how much sleep I've had. Probably have between like two and six. Speaking about six, when you were five or six years of age, the Wizard of Oz. I've always been like a singer. Watching things as a kid, I was really drawn to anything that had music in it and singing and 
it wasn't just the Wizard of Oz. Like I liked Grease for a while, but the Wizard of Oz, I think particularly like the reason I held on to that was that I loved Nikki Webster at the time, like every good Australian six-year-old in that time frame. Love Nikki Webster, and I went to see the stage show, like the theatre production of The Wizard of Oz, and she was in it. And I walked away, and just that was that. Made my mum buy me the book with all the lyrics and everything in it. Has musical theatre played a part in your life in the last decade or so? Not really. If anything, like when I was young, I was in like CPCA for a while, and like the Children's Performing Company of Australia, which was very like singing, dancing, acting, kind of in that realm. And I don't think I really enjoyed it. But then I didn't enjoy music in a structured sense much at all. Like when I was doing piano lessons, I was never properly invested. For me, something that's more self-expression, definitely not in the last decade, especially because for me as a musician over the past decade, what has been most important to me is lyrics and songwriting, music in terms of being impactful in an emotional sense, anything that is authentic. I think the more authentic the roots of a song are, the more likely it is to connect. Obviously, everything to a degree is bound in some sort of structure, like even just for notes to sound good together, there's something structural there. I think if that's what you're thinking about, it's not going to be at its heart just like authentic self-expression. And I think that, at least for me, is what connects. That of interpersonal skills are very much like that as well. We know that sentences and words make up the communication, but it's actually the feeling and the vibe of how we actually communicate those words and ideas that give us connection or worth to each other. It's so much like that. Like music's this language, and it is like another language. It's just a different modality to impart meaning and to communicate, maybe sometimes in like a less direct way, Get the feeling it wasn't till your late teenage years that music really grabbed you as a singer-songwriter. I've always sung. Like, I've always been a singer, and I can't remember a time when I haven't just wanted to sing all the time. One of the most important things to me, but in terms of the songwriting and the process of that, when I was probably early high school years, I started writing poetry, and it wasn't until later on that I worked out that I don't want to write songs like a poem. They're different crafts. Probably was when I was 17 that I started the songwriting became a much more important part of the process to me. And it's probably the most important part to me now. My labour and the part that I'm proud of from like a creative perspective, because for me performing the songs is so second nature. But the writing of the song is like the craft and the, the lyrics is what I've worked on. A song that was inspired by an artist seeing Thelma and Louise, the movie, is Me and a Gun by Tori Amos. She's probably one of the first artists I got into that I wasn't just... I think I first accessed it because of connecting to it sonically, but she was, first of all, just an amazingly, like, strong woman and performer, but her songwriting was different to anything I'd connected with before. And she was probably one of the first people that got me really thinking about lyrics. Me and a gun I remember listening to with my friend in the car and I showed it to her. I was like, oh, you need to like listen to these lyrics. And I was probably 
13 at the time. So there was some of it that I didn't get or connect with in the same way that I might now. But there was still like a, a rawness and a storytelling that I recognised and was just like, mm, like it just gets you in the gut and it's important. I think she doesn't stray away from writing songs and I don't necessarily do this or strive to this, but something I admire in her is that she definitely doesn't shy away from contentious grounds. She has important points to make. Amos also has a sense of history as well that is very much interwoven within her lyrical content. It's funny talking about process of writing lyrics. A lot of thinking about what you do and what you draw on is like after the fact. It's done after the songs are written. I am not methodical about the way I write And when I said before that it's like a craft I've worked on, I think that's more been I express myself and then I weed out the stuff that doesn't work and then the practising it has made me realise what hits. But I don't have a a structured process. It's still very spontaneous when I write. I don't know how Amos would write. I feel like because she does have historical references that aren't personal. It would be interesting to know whether she researches things and wants to communicate that in a song and if it's like a very conscious process for her that she wants to put that in a song. Speaking about history, Simone Devoir did a lot of philosophy at uni so came across lots of her writing there. I think as a feminist she's a very interesting figure and I really a lot of her philosophical discourse really resonates with me about that. Would you class yourself as a feminist and would you class your songwriting, some of it, as a feminist text? I definitely class myself as a feminist. I think it would be silly not to be. Am I a perfect feminist? It would depend on the framework of your feminism, I suppose. My songwriting, I've never analysed it through that lens. I'm sure I could pick some lyrics apart and find flaws if I was to approach it from a feminist mindset, perhaps like if you were to really critically analyse it. I think my songwriting, it's definitely not consciously informed by feminism. hope some of the ways that I live my life more broadly are. There's probably one song I've written that could be sort of interpreted as, as having a feminist message, and it's one that I play live. It's not recorded. It definitely wasn't written from that place again it was just written from feeling and experience and it just kind of after the fact turns out that I looked back on it and was like oh you know a lot of this is about having conversations with men as a woman about your experiences and being told that that's not how it is and that's not how you should feel but if that wasn't an intention but it's very empowering it is empowering that song I think also because it is about a specific experience that I have had as well One of the great things about music and songwriting that makes it empowering is you can take things that are really difficult or hurtful and you can make it productive. And I think that makes you own that experience and I think that's powerful. I think with this song in particular, I'm always cloudy, for lack of a better word, about what it is about specifically. Not lyrically. I think if you listen to the lyric, it's there but it's probably not something I'll ever explicitly state. Like, this is what happened and that was my experience. The specific experience that does feature in the song is something that way too many women have experienced. 
It's called Not A Man. I have a habit of changing the names of songs. I don't really think about what I name a song. It's normally just like I write a set list and whatever I write there so that I know what song I need to play ends up being the title. And at the moment on my set lists, I write it down as Not A Man. We're currently in conversation with Taylor Carroll. Her current single is Sometimes Good People Do Bad Things. The one that got my attention was Vermont. That is the debut single from them. They join us on Radio Notes. What is Vermont for you? I believe it's a leafy suburb in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. It's a setting for, I guess, to just get really just into the thick of it. The song is about me analysing my own behaviour in a romantic relationship, thinking... Oh, what have I learned and where did I learn this from? Realising that a lot of it was behaviour that I learned through the breakdown of my parents' marriage and kind of tension and mess that followed. My parents' separation, a lot of it was around location because my family, when we were together, was in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, in Blackburn actually, in suburbia. Then my mum moved to the Mornington Peninsula and a lot of the tension and a lot of difficulty sort of location was a real prominent factor and I was moving between these two places and shifting between these two lives and one was down by the beach, by the water, and this other place was the Melbourne suburbs. It was finding a location to place where my baggage and where my habits had come from. The song, I guess, is about a relationship where you're not getting what you want and maybe you're wondering why you're putting up with it. I, yeah, found location really interesting, but then there's also an element of hope in the song. The chorus is bright. That was kind of me seeing that despite this place, the location, again, being something that was painful, there was also beauty in it and maybe projecting that onto a relationship as well. Have you spoken with either or of the parents that were possibly, maybe they both were the instigator of that separation? Mm, in the thick of it, yes. As an adult, after post-unpacking myself, not properly, no. Mm. Maybe that should be on my to-do list. It's the day after the Australian Music T-shirt Day here in Australia. How do you, yes. as a singer-songwriter musician, tap into ways of keeping your mental health? I write songs. That helps. And also I have really great friends, deep and good relationships with my friends, and so I talk at length with all of them and unpack things with them. I am very lucky in that way. I also really feel so much better when I get into nature and I don't do it enough. But if I am like on a beach or in trees, just being in nature is such a pressure release. That's something I probably need to do more frequently. Talking about nature, you mentioned the Mornington Peninsula, a very beautiful and beach-like area. What is, when it comes to nature, your favourite escape? If I get amongst trees, you're generally more alone. I feel like on a beach, there's much more of a feeling of it being a shared space. Whereas if you go for like a walk through trees, you feel like it is just you and nature, which sounds wanky, but it's, it's more of a direct connection. Which Spice Girl are you? 
Oh, mm. when I was a kid, I just wanted to be Baby Spice. But that's really tricky, and it would probably depend who you asked as well. I really like Ginger Spice, actually. Maybe Ginger Spice? Okay, talk us through it. Maybe I'm picking her because I know less about her. She seems a bit like an enigma. She was there and then she left and everyone was like, what happened to her? What kind of dancing is Taylor into? I love dancing on on the floor, on on the dance floor. Or actually my favourite type of dancing is when you're at like a big family party and everyone's just playing the songs and everyone's just getting really into it. But I definitely enjoy that. I also don't do it anymore, but for a while, if I was home alone, I used to actually practice interpretive dance in the house. Is this to Phoebe Bridges? I have done it to her album, actually. If I'm in the mood in the morning, yeah, I'll dance by myself in the house while I'm getting ready. Super cool. Where in high school would have you been found? This is going to sound so sad, but in like early high school... I walked around by myself a lot, but that's okay between groups. But later high school, when I settled in more and was in a different place, I used to sit in the bus bays, which is odd. It would make sense if you went to my school, but there were these weird, like, big pergola things in the bus bays, and people used to sit there and eat. So I sat there with with my group, which is sit and eat and chat. Let's go back to you walking between groups, though. What do you think you got from that experience and how did that work from going from group to group? Because I think I'm leading to the fact it may have been the start of your empathy uh, to actually listen to different kinds and groups of people. Maybe. I think sometimes I did just walk and walk around by myself. I think early high school I was, and again, going back to other stuff that was happening, I was going through things that made me deeply chronically stressed and sad and it was very difficult to relate to other 12 year olds and 13 year olds being in that space and I was also having conversations that were in a very adult world and then going to school and trying to interact with people and then there's all the things that everyone experiences as well you're learning about yourself you don't know who you are you know you don't know how to relate to people because you don't know who you are yet those things probably affect people differently and at different stages. But I think the walking between groups things, it was more because I had, first of all, I think I connect with people better one-on-one than I do in a group setting. In a group setting, I get kind of quieter because I don't like to compete to be heard. So that might be one thing. Like I did even later on in years, I had numerous like really good friends from different places and different groups. But I think a lot of the earlier days was that I was only relating to people or getting to know people on such a surface, shallow level that I didn't really belong anywhere. Private or public? Catholic school, actually, so a little bit in between. I'm not christened or anything. I got in because I was one of those, the outsiders that they need to bring in. The Catholic schools have like a two percentile allowance for heathens. I was one of those. Did you have conversations that were more enlightening with the nuns? They weren't nuns or anything. But definitely during that stage, actually, that early high school stage where I wasn't able to relate to people at school, absolutely had this feeling of relating better to adults and having conversations with adults that felt 
easier. Maybe it's because they weren't as like socially threatening. I don't know. That was a theme during that time. And I think also, you know, I was living in Mornington with, you know, at mum's house and I was going three out of four weekends back to Blackburn or Nunawading. When people were going to parties and stuff, I was always not on the peninsula. I wasn't there. So there was disparity in our experiences in that respect too. I wasn't functioning in the same way that they were, you know, if they were talking about parties or drinking, they were things I didn't do because on weekends I was, you know, at dad's house. How much does family play a part in the singer-songwriter aspect of Taylor? What I've learnt from it definitely informs my perspectives. I mean, maybe a lot. I've written two songs about one of my sisters. One of them's inspired by like an argument that I had with her, but she likes it to be very clear that the song's not about her. The, the argument was the catalyst to the song. We had had an argument and she made some comments. We have this relationship, and I'm sure a lot of siblings have it, where you just say it as it is and sometimes can be quite harsh in like the, the directness. And that she made a comment about me that I was that inspired pretty much the first line of the song, which is that my sister sees through me. And then the song kind of goes on to be about me getting older and trying to do it right and growing up trying to do it right. It's kind of an indignant song as well because it also touches on, like, being scared to pursue music, feeling like people have told you that it's, like, dangerous or something that you're probably going to fail at, having this feeling of, well... I'm going to do it anyway. So it isn't just about her, no. But it was it just started with that argument. True to say that you have no plan B at the moment? Oh, definitely, like, compared to any other point in my life. For so long I was really scared of pursuing music in a way that looked purposeful. Being a kid, I always said I wanted to be a musician forever. And people's reactions are always, or most of the times, kind of like, oh, you must have a backup what are you going to do if, if it doesn't work? Or like, oh, that's a hard path. I was really petrified of pursuing it. And so for so long, my backup plans had been what was taking up most of my energy or all of my energy. And I finished my degree and I was traveling. It's the first time that I've been like, no, this is where my attention is going. And this is where my energy is going. I'm going to invest all of my time into this right now. I still have to work to pay for the music and make the music happen. One day I have like a vague plan to go back to, to psych and finish that off in some way or do a master's. I think you still do the waitering gig, but you used to work in a swimwear shop as well. When I was in high school, I worked Saturdays at a swimwear store called Michelle Ann. For some reason, there were just like so many older women that worked there. So many older women worked there and they were great. And they were all like so energized and, and a laugh. So great. They did mastectomy fittings in this particular swimwear store as well. Women would come in to get, it's like an external prosthesis. And so there was this woman, I think her name was Betty. And she was older and beautiful. And she was like the mastectomy girl. And everyone would come in and, and she did those fittings. A lot of the time when you're serving people with, with swimwear, women are coming in and a lot of people have hang-ups about themselves, but especially stunts clothing. And you got to make people feel really good about themselves in there and pick things that made them feel really great. So that was nice. When were you first introduced to the Smiths and who 
introduced you to them? Probably my stepdad. He actually introduced me to a lot of music. He introduced me to Tom Waits, who I love. Now, he was an acquired taste. When I was 10 and he started playing it, I was just like, what is this? Because I was still listening to Nicky Webster and Missy Higgins and Delta Goodrum, all the Australian goodness. And I just was like, this is so strange. Now I just think he's an absolute lyrical genius. I actually grew up in a house where, like, there was always music playing, always heaps and heaps of music playing, and it was always quite eclectic. Did listen to Delta Goodrum's first album the other day. I was just in such a... I just wanted the nostalgia of it. I was playing it with my sister in the car, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the production is so early 2000s, and I had never noticed it. And you don't notice it and to go back and listen to it, and you're like, God, I can just sticks out. Like, I can just hear when this was made. Artist that I rediscovered, thanks to you, is that of Kate Edwards. I heard her song Good Girl and loved it. There was this, like, one line that just, like, and it was like, you don't treat me like you should, but I stay like a good girl would. I just could relate to it, I guess, and I just thought it was very powerful songwriting, especially because she's only, like, 19. Also one of those lines that is saying something different to what it's saying, which I find really powerful in songwriting as well. I like to work for my listening a little bit. Yeah, I do like to, like, unpack to understand songs. But then at the same time, I also, back to authenticity, I think it just hits because sometimes directness can be very powerful as well, especially Courtney Barnett, for example, has this awesome ability, or like Father John Misty, who I also love, has this awesome ability to say things like that are really simple, but it's not lost in metaphor or embellished by metaphor. It's, it's very direct, still said in a way that's unique and impactful. Who would you class as some of your contemporaries at the moment? Who are you enjoying playing alongside of? I love Gina Rose Bruce, who is also a very, very sweet individual. Good egg. Is it true that Tim Harvey is the gent who got you screaming into a piano? Yeah. So for Sometimes Good People Do Bad Things, we had loose reference tracks, but there was a reference track by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. We kind of wanted just like to create some weird sounds, kind of creepy sounds. He was just like, maybe we should put some piano in here. And we, I started like playing some keys. I was not sold on that idea. It kind of felt too light. And so then we opened the topic and then we just started like, scraping the strings and plucking the strings there's like some plucking of the piano strings in there as well I think it was him or my bass player at the time that was in the studio with me was like what if you sang in it and I sang in it and then it was like what if you just scream in it it's just trial and error really being in that space where you could just explore sounds and stuff it's in that fun time where like you've laid all the stuff that you knew you were gonna lay let me ask this question because you have done a support for Harrison Storm. In fact, it saw you landing here in my hometown of Adelaide, South Australia, on one of the more stormier days in August 2019. Yeah, that was really fun. The first leg was <laughs> quite stressful because I had never done it before and I felt very unorganised. I was working full-time before and in between the legs, so I didn't have any sort of time to sort stuff was stressful but definitely really fun talking to people afterwards who came up and said that they really liked what I did 
And there are a couple of occasions that, like, people would buy T-shirts and I'd just be like, what? Why, like, why are you buying one of my T-shirts? And, of course, you make them for people to buy. It's nice to support somebody and play your songs at a show that that person didn't go to to see you mm. and then for them to come away and go, I want to buy a top with your name on it. Visually, you've got Mick Mac working with you. What's that relationship been like and what kind of direction have you been giving them? Well, I mean, obviously I was drawn to Nick because of, of what he brings to the table himself as well. And then I conceptually, I, with the first video, for example, that I did with him, I knew where I wanted it to be. And that was guided more by the song and what I just happened to visualise. I'm quite a visual person. So I will write a song and video clips kind of come to mind a lot of the time. And I love video clips. So that's not like a conscious marketing thing it'll be just more this is what I visualize for that song what I want to wear or how I want to portray myself in that way but it's a collaborative thing for sure Nick brings heaps of his own stuff to the table and other creatives I've worked with bring their own things and it's kind of I guess my creative decision is like picking them being like I really like what you're doing I want to have some of that or project some of that as well Taylor Carroll can be found online at taylorcarroll.com Latest single, Sometimes Good People Do Bad Things. Thanks to Taylor Carroll for being our special guest. Next episode, Manitoba Howe will be bringing the cigar box, ukulele and more to our ears. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.